Welcome to the Goddesses of Social Work podcast, hosted by Renita Ray Davis, licensed clinical social worker, board-approved social work clinical supervisor, and facilitator of the Goddesses of Social Work supervision community. Join us as we travel through the social work journeys told by the Goddesses of Social Work community members, past and present, as they make their way toward clinical licensure. Welcome to the Goddesses of Social Work podcast. In today's episode, Jamie Rogers, LMSW, has joined us tonight to discuss her social work journey thus far. Ms. Mrs. Jamie Rogers is a licensed master social worker with a passion and dedication for helping to assist clients in developing healthier, more positive life choices. Skilled in providing crisis intervention, substance abuse issues, and trauma-informed care for individual group and family therapy. Jamie graduated with her bachelor's in psychology and her master's of social work from the University of Alabama at Birmingham, UAB. She currently works with the incarcerated population at Shelby County Detention Facility, where she serves as a therapist. Jamie is also on the board of directors of the Alabama chapter of the National Association of Social Workers, NASW, as the CCNLI chair. In her free time, she loves to spend time with her beloved family, cats and horses. Welcome, Jamie, to the show. Thank you so much for having me. We are I'm so excited. glad you're here. I'm excited to be here. Jamie, what is the CCNLI chair with Alabama Chapter of the NASW? So the CCNLI chair is the chapter nomination. It, it doesn't really go, but it's the chapter nomination and leadership committee. committee. We're responsible for like identifying people that are passionate individuals for social work and to put them on like leadership and committees and stuff like that. And then I'm also responsible for the, the entire nomination process. So in to be on the board, they have to go through an election process and, and I'm responsible for making sure all of that entire process goes smoothly. So I want to make sure I'm clear. If someone is nominated for the board, you are the chairperson who vets that person. Is that correct? That is correct. Um, we also, I also would make sure like find candidates that would want to be on the board and try to vet them and get them to run for a position or anything like that that's open. But we also are trying to get new members, period, just new members. The NASW has had a, a kind of a bad rap, especially in Alabama, um, just because they haven't the board hasn't done a lot recently in recent years. And so we're really trying to reinvent the wheel to get people to realize all the benefits that the NASW, the Alabama chapter offers. Well, isn't this the perfect platform to do some recruiting right now? Well, tell me, how do you, what does it take to become an NASW member? I believe in professional organizations, especially social work professional organizations, and I am an NASW member. My membership is in Florida. I'll get it moved to Alabama soon. But um, so what does it take for folks to become an NASW member? And what would be the requirements for someone to run for a board, board, board member position? 
So, excuse me, the requirements is a, it's a $265 for a LMSW member. If you've already graduated, if you're a student, it's much cheaper. I believe it's $65 a year, but if you have graduated and got your license, your LM, um, it's $265 a year, but that gives you access to everything that the NASW offers, which is, I mean, countless resources as far as um, peer-reviewed journal articles and stuff like that. We get so so used to it when we're in college that they offer it to us so we can know that we're doing research-informed care. And when you get out and you're kind of by yourself, you don't have access to all of those journal articles anymore. And so we have access to all of those. Um, you get insurance cheaper, your professional liability, you can get it much cheaper through the NASW. So there's a ton of resources that you get that that backs you. And if you, I mean, I hate to say this, but if you ever get into like a crisis situation where you need to have like an attorney, we'll also help provide attorneys and stuff like that at a discounted rate. You know, you're in a supervision group. And one of the things we talk about a lot is, you know, if people are so scared that they're going to be, you know, reported to the board. And, you know, I don't mind sharing. I've I've been reported to the board, but we work with disenfranchised clients who get mad at you. Right. And if you're following the NASW Code of Ethics, you should be safe. But it feels good to know one, my liability insurance is cheaper. Two, I'm within a community of other social workers that, that I can bounce things off of, hey, you know, did you ever have this situation? Are you having this situation? And then three, I love that you mentioned the attorney, having access to an attorney. I've not ever needed that, but, you know, just it, it having that extra support and knowing that you have that extra support takes away that fear, I think. I believe so. It's, it's one of those things that is so nice because everybody on the board, um, well, other than two, two people on the board have been reported before and um, it's all, it's worked out great for them, but it's still, it happens. We work with people that, that doesn't agree with us or that, you know, the disenfranchised. And so it, it's just, it's bound to happen, you know, every once in a while. Um, so it's really nice to have that resource. And it's also nice to to have those contacts within that community. So you can bounce, like you said, you can bounce it off other people that have gone through what you're going through to kind of ease your nerves a little bit. So it, it really does help for, for social workers. So it's worth the, the $265. I know that's a lot. And, and that's the biggest obstacle with most of our people is that is that yearly fee and but it, it really is worth it once you see all the benefits that you get from it so I gladly pay my 265 every year and yeah sometimes I may have to save knowing that 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 fee is coming up mine comes up around Christmas every year <laughs> but I, I gladly pay it is I've never asked this question or wondered it but is is there any scholarship opportunities for people who just want to try it out for a year to see if it would be something they would want to invest in going forward? We have um, limited memberships and stuff that, that they can see 
kind of what it's like. You don't get the entire access to what you would if you bought the entire membership, but you do, you can see exactly what you would get if you buy the, the limited membership. So yeah, there's absolutely um, ways that we can get around the, the fee. Awesome. And then my second, the follow-up question was, I'm going to assume that only folks who are NASW members then have the opportunity to become a board member within the Alabama chapter. That assumption is correct. Um, so yes, you do need to be a member before you can become a board member, but it can be very quick. So as soon as you pay your membership, we can, if you are really more interested and you want to be on the board and we would love to have several representatives that we need still to feel, um, just email me and I'll be happy to get you started. So, Awesome. We'll make sure we have Jamie's um, contact information on the transcript after the show. Jamie, let's go ahead and get into our interview today. Thanks for sharing about the NESW. I do think it's a great investment for social workers, who's especially licensed um, folks um, to have in their toolkit. But Jamie, tell me a little bit about your social work journey. How did you get here and where do you want to go? So um, my social work journey is a little different than most. Um, as you know, I'm a little older. I'm, I'm in my 40s now. And so I didn't go to grad school until I was 40. And so, well, 42, I believe. But um, I... I was sitting in my, I, I was taking my undergrad class and one of my professors who I just adore, Dr. Ron, she came to me and she was like, you are a social worker. And I'm like, no, I'm not. I don't even know what they do really. You know, I don't want to take people's kids because that was my assumption was that they were, they just took people's kids from them. Um, and so it shows how much I really knew about the profession at that time. And and so she was like, please just do me a favor and go and talk to him. I said, okay, I'll be happy to. So she brought in for class one night, um, the head of the UAB department of social work. And I just, I was like, this is exactly what I've always wanted to do. Oh my gosh, there's a whole career out here for me. Like I didn't even think, you know? And so I went and had a one-on-one -on -one meeting with them and it was just, I was like, I don't know if I'll ever get into grad school, but I've got to go to this program. I've got to be a social worker because it was just exactly what I wanted. I wanted to help people, but I also wanted to do the therapy. And so without Dr. Ron, I would not be here right now. And she's not even a social worker. She's a PhD in psychology. Um, but she was just, she saw something in me that I didn't see yet. And so I will forever be grateful to her. Um, where I want to go with my career is. Um, yeah, is before we go there, though, like, so you got your MSW, you did something that you didn't think you could do. Since you got your MSW, what, what clients have you worked with? What has the journey been postgraduate school? So um, I started off working with, I was in individual practice, like um, at a group practice, and I was seeing children mostly, but every once in a while we would see adults. And so, um, and then I got hired on full-time at a behavioral health hospital. 
and I was working, I was running um, the boys unit for like a residential intensive care unit. And I, I loved it, except I didn't, the children population wasn't the population I really wanted to, to work with. Um, I believe I took it too much home with me from that unit. And so I think I would be better served to work with other clients, not children. I don't know if it just hits too close to home or I'm not sure. Um, But it was really difficult on me mentally. And so um, as much as I I loved helping them because I knew they needed it so badly, it was just, it was so difficult. So now I work with the incarcerated population and I love it. This is like, I just, I love it. I love working with these guys and ladies, um, but I have mostly males that I deal with. And I just, I love it. It's the greatest thing when they finally get that aha moment is just, it makes everything worthwhile. All of the heartache and the, you know, arguing and you can be yourself. You don't have to be, you know, something that you're not. And so some days are, we're cussing a lot. Some days we're, you know, really, really, talking about, you know, God and whatever that client needs at that time. And so it's just, it's fantastic now. So that's where my journey has led me thus far. I love that exploration of the different clients. In one of a recent podcast uh, interview, we were talking about how social work to me, the analogy was social work is like a tree and there's all these leaves on the tree and you're just like, you go out and you take a leaf and like, oh, I want to do this kind of social work today. And that's what it feels like when you were in your graduate program. Had you thought about the type of population you wanted to work with? Was, was incarcerated folks even a population you thought about that you would love? It was my I was pretty set on one certain population when I was in grad school. I really, I've always had a passion for working with women um, with sexual assault victims. That has just, and that's still my passion. I I mean, honestly, I would love, and I I get a lot of that where I'm at now. Um, I just get it on the male side. You just don't realize how rampant that is um, until you work with incarcerated men. Um, but I was very dead set on this is the only thing I want to work with. And it's just, it's quite amazing to work even with the kids when I I wasn't at my happiest mentally, I loved seeing and helping them. Like it, there was, there wasn't a bad day. And I know that sounds kind of silly that I'm saying I wasn't happy mentally, but then there wasn't a bad day. But it was just, it was really pressing and hard on me, I guess. And and so I, my heart hurt every day for those kids. And so I think that was just a little too much. But with the incarcerated population, it's, it's fantastic because you get to see them move through the different stages. And it's just, I don't know, I love it. I love every everything about social work now. So I'm just, you know, no burnout for me right now. <laughs> That is important. And I, and I wasn't going to go here, but let us talk about that. You know, I believe that self-care is part of what helps diminishes burnout. So what are you doing these days 
to take really good care of yourself because like you said, you're learning about things that are going on in certain populations that you didn't have any clue that are still very heavy, even though it's not the the adolescent children population, you're still dealing with some pretty heavy stuff. So what are you doing to take good care of yourself these days? Um, I spend time with my family. I have horses and cats that keep me laughing and I I couldn't make it without my animals. They they keep me going. Honestly, I get my nails done now. I, you know, I try to take care of myself as much as I can. I've actually started eating fruit, which is like a whole foreign object for me. So <laughs> I took fruit for lunch the other day and everybody was like, what are you doing? And I was like, I know, right? So I'm trying to, I'm actually taking steps to, to make myself more healthy now. So it's almost like you do one thing and the next thing happens, the next thing, lightning, uh, Jamie's, one of Jamie's cats comes to <laughs> supervision almost weekly. And so we love seeing lightning uh, show up during our supervision call. He's locked in the bedroom right now, so he won't come and interrupt the interview. <laughs> we love lightning. We love light. So, Jamie, in your social work journey, where do you want to go now? You know, I love that you've had this experience. Our stories actually are very similar. I had a professor I was in, I think my, I was in archaeology or sociology, I can't remember, major, and a professor literally pulled me out of the classroom and she was like, you would make a fantastic social work social worker and I didn't know what it was then 24 years ago um, and I'm so glad she pulled me out of the class and said that to me and I and when I took my first social work class I was like oh my gosh this is where I was supposed to be all of this time and so I I love that that was part of your journey but like where do you want to go now I mean what you're in clinical supervision you're working on your LCSW what are your plans for the future in this profession Oh, gosh, I want to do so much. Um, I would love to eventually get on with like, um, so I've found a new kind of calling about like with the military. I really, really would love to get on to work with like either veterans or active duty. I prefer active duty, but right now, I mean, everything I've done so far, I've enjoyed, um, you know, so I would like to work with the active duty because I know even going back to my original love of the sexual assault victims, it runs rampant in the military also. And um, that's one of those things that you just don't talk about there because it, it ruins your career. Um, so I would love to work with in that population one day. Um, and I also would love to have a private practice eventually. Um, I'm nowhere near ready for that, but, uh, I would love to have a private practice one day to be able to help and, and guide, you know, young up and coming, uh, social workers and, and help them to, you know, and maybe have like a little group practice or something. So that's my plan for the future in several, several years. <laughs> so I, th I think you're closer than you probably give yourself credit for. Yeah. I love that. I, I didn't know I was going to do this. And then here we are three years later, <laughs> I would have never thought this is, this would be where I was at. And, and here we are doing it. I want to speak to um, your passion for military population. One of the things I used to teach a class called military, social work and military families. And one of the things that 
I learned teaching that class and, and would teach is that our military folk are in all of our communities. We all are military social workers. But in saying that, the VA is the number one employer <laughs> of social workers and military installations. And so we're speaking this thing into existence that you are going to be working specifically with the military population um, very, very, very soon. And, I, and you just... One of my last interviews, she interviewed three times. She just kept doing it. And so sometimes it might take a couple of, you know, revving that engine to get in there. But you can, I, I have no doubt that you're going to get in there. Moving on, who was your favorite? I heard you talk about, I think you said Dr. Ryan, but who was your favorite or most impactful social work instructor or mentor? So I hope it's okay to have two. Um, but I, I do have two and I can't, I can't let this interview go without speaking of both of them, um, without Dr. Sims and Dr. King. I honestly, I don't know if I would be here right now, Dr. Sims. So we kind of called them the mom and dad <laughs> of our program. Dr. Sims was the, you have to do everything right you've got to get this. He was the research. Everything is research. Um, Dr. King was like, it's okay. You'll learn it, you know? Um, but honestly, during our program time at UAB, it, there was a lot, it was very new. Um, the clinical social worker for the master's level wasn't adapted until 2017. So that's when they were accredited. And um, so it's very new. So we had a lot of adjunct professors. And so we had a lot of comings and goings. And it made it very difficult on the students when you get a professor that has never taught before. And they come in and they're just like, here, here's all this work. And I can't explain it good. And, and we're all like, how are we supposed to learn all this? So both of those two, Dr. Sims and Dr. King, they made they made you work so hard, but you knew every ounce of the material and you didn't just, it wasn't that you just knew it, you could actually apply it to populations. And that was so important because in some of the classes that we took, it, it was, here's the material and we learned it, but we couldn't apply it. And it's no good if I can't apply the interventions or anything like that. And so those two people are will forever be like the greatest to me um I just I, I don't know if I'd have made it through without them you know so they're very very important to me so and of course Miss Renita being my licensure supervisor I can't go without saying you you have been so wonderful to me I've called you crying so many times and you always make it everything makes sense so I appreciate you too Jamie, you are so beautiful for saying that you didn't have to, I did not pay her. <laughs> you did not have to say that, but you're so easy to work with that you call me crying anytime. But I do believe we moved you past that, right? We have moved you past that and you are definitely in a, in a higher vibrating state in, in the work that you're doing now. 100%, 100%. But I do appreciate your knowledge. I, it's very important to me especially in some of the situations that I've had to deal with. So I really do appreciate that. I will, I will speak to that. You know, 
the Alabama law just changed in 2022. So about a year and a half ago, um, MSWs, LMSWs before didn't have to get supervision if they weren't going towards clinical licensure. And I love and only love, because I, I obviously didn't have to do that when I was an LMSW. I only got supervision because I was working towards my clinical license. But I didn't know the importance until doing this community, until facilitating this community of supervision and how much it we need it. We all need each other. We all need to be able to talk about things that we're just here. We are out here just winging it. And some of us are the only social workers in our agencies and organizations. And so being able to be a part of a supervision um, community, I do find the value. So I do appreciate that you spoke to that. I do. I will say, um, as you say, I'm the only LMSW at my agency. I work with ALCs and and so our ethics, they align, but they're they're similar, but they're not exact. And so it is so nice to be able to come to our community and even if it's just in our group chat to ask, hey, does this seem okay? Like, am I on the right path? Is this okay? And and get so much feedback and everybody has a little bit of a different take on stuff. So it, it really does broaden your knowledge and make you a better social worker. So completely agree. So Jamie, now knowing what you know about social work, right? You've you went through because you said you didn't know anything. You were like me. I didn't. What is a social worker? You got a professor pulling you and saying you should become. So now you know so much more about social work. Thinking about your social work journey, what 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 are one or two things that you would pack in your social work suitcase that you would take with you on this journey? <laughs> patience. Um. Um. I have, to, I have limited patience with a lot of, with myself, mainly not with others, but with myself. And so patience I would pack. And the fact that your role is limited as a social worker, I think that's so important. And I think it's left out a lot. Um, you think I can fix them. And until you get into the profession and you actually start working with the clients, you realize that you aren't doing anything they have to do all of it. You're just there to help guide them. And so your role is limited. That is something that I think, you know, I would definitely pack if that makes sense. It makes absolute sense. You know, one of my favorite phrases, stop being Captain Save-A-Ho. <laughs> Take that cap cape off and stop trying to save the world. I think we all come into this profession thinking we're just going to save the world and really they've got to want to be saved. Right. And so I love that you're, that you, you captured that, like, you know what, I'm going to be patient with myself and I'm going to, I'm going to allow, I'm going to give them the tools and the resources and allow them if they so choose to do the work so that they can save themselves. And so good job. What would you not bring with you now that now knowing what you know about social work, what would you leave behind? I, like many people, had um, some misconceptions and, and biases towards, you know, like certain criminals. And I know that it sounds awful to say, but you watch the nightly news. And I know a lot of people don't even watch the news because it's so negative. Um, 
But you watch the nightly news and you see, okay, well, so-and-so got arrested for murder or for child abuse or sexual assault, raping someone or something like that. And then you just think, ah, they just need to fry, you know, and you throw them away like that. And until you're in the situation where you actually get, you're sitting across from that other person and you realize, first off, they're a human. Second off, everybody, we're all one decision away from sitting on the other side of that that window. And it we don't know the full story until you sit down and talk to them. And you've got to at least get to know people and and see what's going on. I'm not saying what they did is right, but I am saying there's always a weave to their story. You have to learn it. And, and so I think that is one thing I would unpack is my, my biases towards certain criminals. I just want to add, because this is one of the things we learned or was reiterated recently in supervision is this not just with incarcerated individuals, but with all our populations. I was talking to a social worker who has who is within hospice and you know she has her little client and she's like, why isn't the family taking care of them? Why aren't they coming to their aid? Come to find out there is a whole story behind that. And so not just, I think it's within all of the populations that we work in. It's like, check your biases, right? Check, up, check what you think should be happening within this system and you know, come with open ears and an open mind and, and see what impact you can make. So I appreciate you saying that so much. I just have one last question. Did you want to speak to that? Uh, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, I, I agree too, 100%. Like you just don't know anybody's story until you actually know their story. And so. Absolutely. So our last question tonight, Jamie, and this has been such a great interview, but one of the things, and you said it even earlier when you were talking about the CCNLI chair is at the National Association of Social Workers is not reinventing or trying to reinvent them, that that organization to bring in more uh, members and, and get more board members on board is that word reinvent. I love that you brought it up because I want to speak to you. One of the things that I've noticed about you in the short time that we've been able to work together is your ability to reinvent yourself. The fact that you were 40 some years old, which is not that odd. When I was, you know, when I was teaching all, most 85% of my students were, you know, their husbands had retired and, or their spouses had retired and they was like, it's my turn. Let me come, you know, let me come on into the profession. And so, um, but you have this uncanny ability to reinvent yourself one, starting your career in social work, but then now being in it, you're like, oh, I thought I could do that, but no, maybe not. And then even though you're doing what you love now, you still have your eyes on something else different. And so you have this ability to reinvent yourself. What advice would you give members of our audience who may be working in environments that aren't bringing them joy or aren't lighting them up? But what would be the advice that you would give folks about reinventing themselves? Step out of your comfort zone and try it is my best advice because I am, uh, if you know me, you know, I am a creature of habit. I pretty much eat the same thing for breakfast every morning. I have the same dinner. Um, I don't like getting out of my comfort zone very often, but when it 
came to the fact of me having a career in social work, it has just been completely different. Like, although I'm scared to do a lot of stuff, I was terrified to do one interview and taint the interview. It was awful, but I learned from it. And so, you know, I think we learn more in our failures than we do in our successes. And so um, I think if you just try, even if you don't succeed, just try to go f- learn something from what you did and then move forward and then just keep doing it. And if you step out of your comfort zone and try it, I think, I mean, what's the worst that can happen? You fail. I mean, so what? You'll go back again, you know, famous words, of Mr. Anita, keep trying, keep going. So, um, that's what I've, I've tried to do. I've really tried to embrace that lately. So thank you. I appreciate that. I love it. You know what? I'm, I'm starting to pick a theme up too with these interviews that I'm doing. I don't know anything about podcasting, but I do know how to talk to people and I know how to ask questions. And so I don't, you know, we're all just trying something and if we fail, we fail, but I appreciate the fact that you guys have been so willing to join me on this journey (laughs) and I'm so inspired by all of you and just just thank you Jamie do you have any final words bits of knowledge you want to drop on our audience before we close tonight um I do want to say thank you first off thank you so much for thinking of me and having me that that was so that was just awesome I love it um But I I would love to say, please, please, please keep going in your your journey and don't give up. And if you do burn out, take some time off. There's no shame in that. You know, like I was really burned out when I was at the the inpatient facility and I was terrified that I wasn't going to make it through like to even get my clinical licensure and that was like of course that's been my ultimate goal since I was in grad school but um a change of pace is okay it's 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 okay and it has made such a difference in me and it's opened my door to see that it's not just one population there is so many that are really really interesting and fun so thank you for having me I really appreciate it You are absolutely welcome. And I love that, you know, because post-masters, the burnout rate is five years. And, you know, people, you know, society has taught us you have to stay at the job. (laughs) You got to stay so it doesn't look bad on your resume. And I encourage folks, if it is not bringing you joy, please leave. The LMSW, the LCSW, hell, the MSW is such a mobile degree, a mobile license, that there's so many agencies and organizations who need our credentials. And so if it's not working for you, try something new, try something different. And if that doesn't work, try something new, try something different. There's too many opportunities out here in social work for us to be miserable and for us to be broke. (laughs) Jamie, thank you so much for joining the Goddesses of Social Work podcast. We are so glad that you shared your story tonight. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Goddesses of Social Work podcast. We are glad you were here. If you liked this episode, please come back to hear more stories of the journeys through social work and please leave us a review 
on Apple or Spotify. See you next time here on the Goddesses of Social Work podcast.